0: You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Good morning, fam. My name's Alan. Uh, today's passage, we're coming out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. As we just read, this passage of Scripture lays out the qualifications for elders and deacons. It's a character standards for those who are to lead, shepherd, and serve the church. I'm not sure about your past church experience with uh, leadership. Uh, I assume, as a big enough audience that we have, that some of us might have some wonky or just at least interesting experiences with church. Uh, For me, I grew up in a small town uh, at a First Baptist church, and we had a senior pastor. He kind of ran everything, um, and uh, he was the one who preached from stage. And uh, the problem was, it just felt like he was cold, or distant. It just didn't really connect with anybody. Uh, The other staff, pastoral staff, the uh, associate pastor, the youth guy, the minister of music, uh, they were a lot more personable, but they just weren't really uh, relatable. And of course, we had our standard deacons. As a kid, I really wasn't sure what the role of a deacon was. It just felt like it needed to be an old man. And uh, their kind of main role was like Around every corner, they were watching like a hall monitor to see if I or someone else messed up. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's not the prettiest picture of church leadership. And, and I don't know exactly, again, where you're coming from. But I do know because of poor church leadership, Many have turned from the church or or walked away. So kind of my my goal for today is twofold. I want to just bring clarity. What is church leadership? How has God designed things? And then secondly, I think we have an opportunity to celebrate what God has done in our church family and what we hope he will continue to do. So as we get started, I actually want to skip down a few verses uh, to chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Uh, It's a passage that we actually started this whole sermon series with uh, because it's Paul kind of summarizing why he wrote this letter to Timothy. And this is what it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. See, Paul is writing to Timothy so that everyone may know how they should function as a church how to be a household, how to actually be a family together. Uh, So so maybe think with me for just a few minutes about your household. Maybe you want to picture the, one, the household you grew up in, or maybe you want to picture your new parents, the household that you hope to have as you are bringing up kids, or, or maybe your kids are out of the house and you want to reflect back to the household you had when they were under your roof. Either way, think about the atmosphere of your household. Think about the day-to-day and some of your favorite memories. Uh, for some of us, I think thinking about our household would be very nostalgic. We would look back fondly uh, or uh, anticipate fondly what is to come. Uh, for other of us, though, our, our household wasn't a good place to be. And when we think about our household, uh, we might be full of pain or regret or hurt. Uh, it all really depends on how was this household Managed. You see, God's design is that in a household, there should be roles and responsibilities in a family so that the household can flourish. Parents are called to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And children are called to honor their mother and their father. And when this works, when this, this happens, it's beautiful. And people look back on their family fondly, and they're very thankful for their parents. But as a pastor, I've seen uh, exactly what happens uh, and the effects it has on childrens when when that's missing when the household doesn't function as it ought to uh, it really is the root of so many of our pastoral care issues and I would say similarly what God wants for His household is it God wants His household to function like a healthy family with certain roles and responsibilities so that the church will flourish. Uh, Like good parents to a family, God establishes leadership in the church for the good of the church. Another way to say it is God has gifted the church with overseers and deacons to serve and lead our church. These are specific roles in the church, uh, but more than simply what they do, there is a huge emphasis in this passage on who they are. So I just want to take a few minutes and I want to unpack these two roles, the role of overseer and the role of deacon. And so let's begin as Paul begins in, in verse 1 uh, with looking at the office of overseer. Paul writes, uh, this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Overseer is not a word that we tend to use when we talk about our church leadership. Uh, we tend to use the word pastor. Uh, and, and that actually works really good because in the Bible, uh, the word overseer and elder and pastor, they're actually used interchangeably. So, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter writes and says, elders are called to shepherd or to pastor the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight as as an overseer would. So these are not three different roles, but rather one role described three different ways. Uh, Again, for us, we simply use the word pastor, but I do want us to look at each one of these words because it gives us an insight into how pastors are called to lead. So the word elder is a term, that comes out of village life or a synagogue life. And the idea behind it is an elder is someone who is more mature, someone that should be looked up to and followed. And so similarly, pastors are to be people who should be looked up to and followed. The word pastor is an agrarian term, and it simply means to shepherd, uh, to tend to the flock. And so we would say that that means pastors, like shepherds, are to look after, to feed, to care for, and to protect the flock. And then the, the third one is overseer, and overseer just simply means someone who is in leadership, Someone who both gives clear direction and also makes sure things are done right and moving in the right direction. And these are all three ways and roles that we're going to continue to unpack. Uh, But just as Bailey taught last week, we believe in a plurality of male eldership and the main role of pastors is teaching and leading the church I love, we love plurality of leadership because it does some things for us. One, uh, it lets us all use our giftedness. We are in different roles where we get to use the giftedness that God has given to us. Another big uh, plus about plurality of elders is it protects us as a church from being personality driven and all the trappings that can come with that. Uh, It also, uh, I think it gives us a lot of durability, Uh, Not one of us has to carry the full weight. Uh, We get to disperse it amongst ourselves. And I think as a pastoral staff, that gives us a bigger capacity and further endurance. Uh, Another way I would say it is, I love being a pastor here. And one of the reasons I love being a pastor here is because of who I get to pastor with. Um, So let's uh, continue on and let's look at the three ways a pastor is called to lead. Kind of the synopsis of the way I would say it is a pastor is called to lead by example, through teaching, with authority. A pastor is called to lead by example through teaching with authority. So the first one is pastors are to lead by example. Another way to say it would be elders are to be looked up to and followed. So one of the primary roles of a leader in the church is to be an example to the church, to set the spiritual climate uh, the way we tend to talk about this is uh, we heard it from a pastor so many years ago, but but he said, you can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And the reality is uh, we have to model what we're teaching. If we expect something of our people, we need to lead out in such a way that we set that standard, that that spiritual climate in our church family. So I'm going to uh, just quickly breeze through these qualifications uh, together and hopefully give you a a little bit of uh, an understanding of what these qualifications are. But if you want more of this, we've actually done a whole sermon on all of these qualifications. Uh, You can check out that resource on your own, but uh, let's get after it. The saying is trustworthy, if someone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The word noble there means beautiful, good, worthy, honorable. So if you desire to be an overseer, that's a beautiful, good, worthy, honorable thing. Verse 2, therefore, so in light of this noble task, an overseer must be above reproach. A lot of people look at that as kind of the heading of this uh, next section is kind of the, the, the catch-all. The summary uh, is that a pastor should have no huge behavioral flaws. Nothing should be apparently off with them. And then it kind of unpacks it. It should be the husband of one wife. Uh, another way that's said is a, a one-woman man. It doesn't mean that he has to be married, uh, but it does mean that he needs to be faithful to God's standard for sex and marriage. Continuing on being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We're going to get to this in just a few minutes. But if you notice in this list, this is the one ability uh, that stands out. Uh, everything else is about a character attribute. Verse three: uh, Not a drunkard, not violent, or not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It means that a pastor should be free. In Christ, they should not be consumed or overrun or controlled or mastered by their appetites or these certain behaviors. Uh, Verse four, it says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Uh, And basically, it's just saying, How could God trust you to manage his whole household if you can't take something smaller like your own household and manage it well? Uh, Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. We're going to get to that a little bit more, so I'm going to save that one. Uh, And then last one is, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Again, I can't unpack all of these. Uh, But what I do want to hit on is something I I heard when I was kind of prepping for this. I was listening to a sermon by D.A. Carson, and there was something he said that at first it just caught me off guard, but then it it really started to make sense to me. He said that the list of qualifications for pastors, they're actually pretty unexceptional. Other than the ability to teach, the requirements that are listed, uh, they're They're not unusual. They're not even requirements that are just reserved for pastors. It doesn't say that pastors need to have some kind of superior IQ. It doesn't say they need to have a specific personality type. It doesn't say that pastors need some superb education. Rather, it lists things like don't get drunk, don't rage out, don't be consumed by money. Uh, The fact is every single mandate in uh, in, in this list is mandated in the New Testament for all believers. This list shouldn't be that uncharacteristic for most Christians. The difference is that these characteristics should be exemplified in pastors. So my mom told me one time, uh, she said, you know, I used to put pastors on a pedestal until you became one. And I I was like, I think I'm insulted. (laughs) Maybe I should. Uh, But the more I thought about it, the more I realized what she was actually telling me. I think uh, in her past, pastors were, were someone to be reserved from a distance. They were other and different. But the reality is pastors are not other and different. We need a Savior just like you need a Savior. We need, to, we need help from Jesus. We need him to save us, to change us. And, and our goal simply is to model what Jesus has already done in our lives and to help you follow along as we follow Jesus. So my encouragement to you is as you are continuing in our reading plan, when you get to these verses and these qualifications, if you're not a pastor, if you're not a deacon, you could easily pass through them and, and think they apply to someone else. But in reality, this is the standard for all of us. And I want you to, carefully pray through and maybe journal through these characteristics, and where might you need to grow? Where might you need to repent so that you, along with us, can follow after in the way of Jesus? The second aspect of pastors is they are supposed to lead by example through teaching. Another way to say that this is shepherds are called to feed the flock. As you noticed, or we pointed out earlier, the only ability that is listed in the qualifications for pastors is that they must be able to teach. And this is a theme. It's threaded throughout Paul's instructions to Timothy. And we've talked about it previously, and we're going to continue to unpack it as we move forward. But the the idea behind the ability to teach, it means a few things. It means that a pastor must know God's Word, must be intimately acquainted with it, a pastor must live out God's word. Not only do are, are we hearers of God's word, but we are also doers of God's word. A pastor must be able to clearly teach God's word and apply it into other people's lives. And then, lastly, a pastor must be able to protect God's word, guarding against false teaching, because there's warnings throughout all the New Testament about false teaching and false, uh, false teaching and teachers. Pastors lead the body of Christ. And help it to grow into maturity by faithfully teaching and preaching God's word. We're gonna to get to this more next week, but every single day, each one of us is bombarded by false teaching and we're surrounded by lies that are so easy to believe. And our goal in teaching is not just simply to convey information to you, but we wanna see application that leads to transformation. We want us as the body, our family, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We want you to grow in your affection for him and for one another. Uh, We want our teaching to lead to more confession, more repentance, and more growth. And lastly, pastors lead by example through teaching Uh, with authority. Pastors lead with authority. Another way to say it is overseers manage with delegated authority. Authority often gets a negative connotation. It has a bad rap. Uh, Some even believe that all authority is bad or authority, uh, all authority must be questioned because the idea is power corrupts. And there's some validity to this idea because we've all experienced corrupt authority. We've seen negative uh, examples of authority and the abuse of authority. But the reality is sin corrupts everything and authority is no different. And just because we see the effects of sin, it doesn't mean that authority is wrong or bad. In fact, the Bible honors authority. God has all of authority, and he distributes it as he wills. To follow in the way of Jesus is actually to subject yourself to authority. There's this concept and application is found throughout the New Testament. Uh, it, it, kids to parents, employees to bosses, citizens to government, members to pastors, pastors to the chief shepherd. All of us are under authority and called to follow appropriate authority. And Jesus is the chief shepherd, so we as pastors, we are just under shepherds. He has given his authority to us and trusted us to lead his people. So we are responsible for the flock and we are accountable to Jesus for how we lead. Some of the implications with this means that for those under our authority who don't listen and follow, uh, there is the implication that uh, Our authority brings about discipline for those who refuse to to listen and to follow. Uh, Our goal as pastors is that we want to be able to point out error and call them back to following Jesus because the reality is we want Jesus for people more than anything else. And anytime we get distracted, anytime anyone in our family gets distracted, we simply want to call them back to following Jesus because Jesus is better. last word on authority that I want to share with you is uh, Jesus is our example of authority. He said, I did not come to be served, but uh, as a servant to lay down my life as a ransom. So us as pastors, we consider ourselves to be servant leaders following in the way of Jesus. And so when he extends his authority to us, it ultimately means that we must be willing to lay down our lives to serve our church family. And this is not a responsibility that we take lightly. I would say it's one of the hardest parts of leading our church family. Uh, oftentimes it happens, uh, one of the hardest parts happens behind closed doors when we are begging and pleading with church family to turn back to Jesus. It's, a, it's the thing that keeps us up at night. It's the thing that wakes us up at night. It's a, it's a weight that we carry uh, I'll get even a little more personable. Uh, when I was thinking about how we love and serve and lead our family, I would say I've, I've probably cried longer than I would actually like to admit about some of the things that's happened in our church family. And some of that is uh, the destruction of, of sin when people choose sin over Jesus. Some of it is pain and loss, uh, tragedy that, that happens. All of it affects us as pastors, because we love you. And as the, the Bible says, when, when you are hurt, we, we hurt with you as your family. Uh, there are other times where, honestly, I, I would say I've tried my best uh, to be faithful in pastoring our church family and following the direction of Jesus, and it just didn't end up well. It ended with people uh, really cons- considering me a bad guy uh, I've had people tell me that I am the reason that they are unhappy. I've had other people tell me that they wouldn't wouldn't even want to be in the same room with me. and it it hurts all of it. And I shared these tears, these rejection, because i I just want to let you in on something that's real that I think could be easily forgotten. Uh, your pastors love you. I love you. We love you. We feel a very deep connection to you. A responsibility to lead and to shepherd you. We want what's best for you and our church family. I won't get further because I don't want to get emotional to an empty audience. Uh, but I, I so I'll, I'll just continue on. Uh, the second role of uh, leadership is uh, the, the role of a deacon or a deaconess. Uh, the Greek word uh, diakonis means servant. So the office of a deacon is someone who is responsible for various areas of service in the church. Uh, We see this first come up in Acts chapter six. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer And to the ministry of the word. So, deacons were instituted uh, so that the elders, uh, the pastors, could focus on preaching and prayer. So, again, this is not a word that we use in our context. We don't call anyone formally a deacon, but we do have people in a deacon role, men and women in deacon roles throughout our church. Oftentimes, we would use the word director or coach, and it signifies that these men and women are serving our church as they lead leaders in our church. And, and for us, one of our big leadership goals is we want to be volunteer-driven volunteer and staff-supported. So we have to have male and female volunteers serving all over the place so that us as pastors can focus on preaching, leading, prayer, and care. So just to give you an accurate picture of how we do leadership development in our church family, I'm gonna put up here our leadership pipeline. We can also attach it so you can see it better. Um, but this is our process for developing and empowering leaders in our church family. You see there's six stages here. Uh, the first one is get in a life group. The second one is become a member. The third one is we, we would say we want you to be a core group member. And what that means is that you take ownership and responsibility for the help of your life group. Many people are welcome to stop at this point in our development. But others are invited to continue on, to become a leader in training, to learn what it means to lead a life group. And then after learning and that process, uh, they're invited to be a life group leader, which is our fifth stage. And after folks have led a life group and they're interested and they've multiplied a life group, uh, some of them are invited to be coaches. And the idea behind a coach is the coach's main role is caring for uh, and supporting life group leaders, their health and the health of their group. Uh, so the way that, that I, I say this comes up most often or, or one of the ways it comes up is if somebody were to come up to me today and say, hey man, I really feel like I'm called to be a pastor. My first question to them would be, oh, that's great. The Bible says that's a noble task. Are you in a life group? Because for everybody, that is our first step. Get in a group, be committed to a group of people, learn how to live in an open and honest uh fellowship with one another because part of being a leader is you've got to learn how to follow and and honestly this passage puts such a huge emphasis on character that we want to give people the opportunity to prove their character we want to give them the opportunity uh, us the opportunity to get to to know them in fact in this passage paul even instructs there should be a process there should be testing for both pastors and deacons uh, he says, first, for pastors, a pastor, he, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's a big warning. It, it should be somebody who's tested, who's proven, who's not a recent con- uh, convert. And then secondly, he said for deacons uh, in verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And this instruction is that we must, Uh, take the time to test and prepare. And this is both good and protective for both the church and for the individual. So I was thinking about uh, one guy in particular. I can't share his name, uh, but it's been a few years ago. Uh, His name came up and we were talking about him. I remember one of our pastors saying, you know what? I don't even think this dude is a Christian. There is no way I would let him lead anything or anyone the good news is this dude stuck around. Uh, And I would say now we as pastors would gladly hold him up as an example uh, of someone we would want you to follow. Uh, This is actually one of the things I think we might say we are most proud of as pastors when we get to see boys who aspire to lead become men over time through the process of development. We love seeing guys who are itching for leadership but lacking in maturity with a willingness to stick around and stick it out so that they can become trusted men of character. Because the Bible is really clear, character matters. It matters for both pastors and for deacons. So uh, the way we would say is a deacon leads, like a pastor, by example, through serving. So the first step of a deacon is they lead by example. Verse 8 says, deacons likewise, and that word likewise is also and also deacons. It's an inclusive linkage, linking back to the qualification of elders. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. See, Paul continues on with qualifications for deacons, emphasizing their character. But just as we talked about uh, these qualifications, when you read them, I, I want you to both think of, are our deacons, are our pastors following and living up to this, but also, are are you? Are you applying this? Where might you need to grow? Where might you need to repent so that you, along with us, can follow after the way of Jesus? Um, But the first step of deacons is they lead by example. Secondly, they lead by example through serving. As I mentioned earlier, the role of deacon is to serve the church and to free up pastors to preach, to shepherd, and to lead. In our context, we have lots of men and women faithfully serving the church in various capacities. Uh, some are in mercy roles, like benevolence or serve-the-city options. Some of them are in more shepherding roles, like our life group coaches. Some are in admin roles. You know, they help keep us organized, and they help carry uh, care for people through good planning and detail. And others uh, serve in specialty ro- roles, where they get to use their unique giftedness, training, and expertise uh, to serve the church. It's a beautiful example of the body of Christ with its many facets working together to accomplish the mission and the purpose of the church. Here's how I want to wrap things up. Uh, As I mentioned, I wanted to talk a little bit and and celebrate. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but our church, we are known in our city and even in our state for the way in which we are able to develop leaders. Uh, We are able to uh, develop, empower, and deploy leaders. And uh, for us, that happens both intentionally, we feel like that's what we're called to do, but it also has happened out of necessity. Uh, For our downtown church uh, specifically, uh, we have to continue to develop leaders if we're going to exist. 75% of people who live in downtown Columbia have lived here less than five years. That's not our stat. That is a citywide stat. And sure enough, from our 2014 member list, 75% of those people are no longer living here. We are constantly seeing people move away. We've even tried our best to convince folks to stay and stick around here uh, because this transience affects us in so many different ways. Uh, but one of which is we have to be intentional about developing leaders. So let me even bring you back to our leadership pipeline and just tell you, celebrate some of the things that God has done recently, Uh, some quick stats. So in that uh, first, uh, second section, we have over 700 members. In fact, 200 new members have uh, joined our church in the past 18 months. Of the 700 plus members, over 82% of them are at least core group members or more in our pipeline. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we had 55 members from 27 different life groups complete the 201 life group class, and they're now moved from just member to core group members taking ownership and responsibility for the health of their group. We currently have over 100 people serving at life, uh, as a life group leader, And next month, I'm hosting our 301 basic training class and we've got 35 people who have been invited as leaders in training to get further developed and and soon to be employed as life group leaders. These are huge wins for us, moving people through our pipeline, developing them and empowering them for leadership. We do this both intentionally and by necessity. Obviously, uh, there's pain with all the transients that we have but it does give us a unique opportunity. We get to send leaders out all over the place with Midtown DNA. In fact, just just this week, I got an email from a guy who lives in Tennessee. He's a leader at another church. And his email just basically said, hey, uh, such and such were members of your church family. And they just keep talking about y'all's group life and your leadership pipeline. And I'm really curious about what you're doing. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to learn more from you. Because what happened is these members, they, they loved what they got here. And as they moved on into a different context, they wanted to bring the same things that, that are happening here into that context, into Tennessee. Uh Another way to, to even think about it is, uh, with our leadership development, this is why we're able to continue to be a church-planting church. As most of you know, we're sending out uh, joyfully, uh, sending out Tim and Lindsay Olson, along with about a team of 50 people to plant a church in Charlotte, to be a Jesus-centered family on mission in the Queen City. Uh, Not only have we trained up Tim over the past three years as one of our church planning candidates, but you know what? We get to send out, as an FOC, so all three of our churches, we're sending out a loaded team full of core group members, life group leaders, and coaches, men and women trained up for the work of ministry and willing to uproot their lives to bring a gospel-centered church into a place that's unreached. And we love what God is doing here in our church. We love what's happening. And honestly, I could just keep talking about it. I could keep telling you more and more ways that God is working through this whole process. But here's how I want to wrap up. Here's actually how I want to conclude. Verse 13, Paul says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Good standing there refers to respect and appreciation from the church. And what Paul is saying is those who are in leadership uh, in the church, they're worthy of honor, they're worthy uh, to be encouraged. And so here's what I want us to do uh, today as part of our liturgy. I want us to stop and pray for our leaders. I want you to pray for their spiritual health. I want you to pray for their endurance in ministry and that they would continue to faithfully serve. The next thing I want us to do is I want us uh, to think specifically about uh, certain life group leaders, coaches, or pastors who have been influential to us. I want you to think about what God has done in and through them, and I want you to send them a note. That could either be an encouraging text Or if you're up for it, write them a handwritten letter and mail it to them because we are called to honor those who are in leadership and we're thankful for them and we're thankful for what God has done through them. Let let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, we have tons to celebrate and it all begins with uh, the fact that you have died in our place, that you have rescued and redeemed us. You've called us into a people. We get to be a part of your household, part of your family. And because you care for us and the working of your church, you have blessed and gifted us with pastors and deacons to lead us out. God, thank you for those men and those women who lead and serve in our church family. We are grateful for them. We're grateful for how you've used them. God, we're excited for the ways in which you continue to grow up more and more men and women to serve in our church family. Uh, Whether they stay here or we get to uh, send them out, Uh, with what you have done for us. God, we pray that you would continue to do more and more of the good that you have done here. God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for rescuing us and adopting us into your family. Thank you that we get to be family together here in Columbia. We love you and we pray this in your name, amen.